Maybe you laugh when I tell you. Or right off the fairy tale. It couldn't happen. How could it? This is the story of the podcast. And it's true. Every word of it. Now before we go any further. The following story. Making toy language not suitable for younger wolves. Listener's construction is advised. Also, there will definitely be words for all stories being discussed. So be on your guard. And lastly, the pains and stress. Are those the end of the digital and not? The talk is a hope. That was very good, Ollie. Great narration, young man. So, how should we end this? nature lovers and welcome to wolf talk the one and only podcast where we discuss all the finest wolves in the country and all around the world from the red wolves to gray wolves to mysterious wolf men who lure young women away in the dead of night we cover them all here on this absolutely wolf-tastic podcast joining me for today's discussion are my two wolf children themselves say hello to megan hey guys did you know sakurai put wolf in the new super smash brothers Everyone's in the new secret Smash Brothers. Except Waluigi! <laughs> Where he belongs. <laughs> and I also have my wolf son, Amon! Uh, I don't have a joke other than I'm very hairy because I have a beard. <laughs> you make me jealous. I, I've been trying to grow a beard. I tried to grow a beard out and I couldn't. And I looked at your picture and I'm like. Why even bother? Yeah, I'm never I, I really, I really fucking lucked out. I have a, I have a regular, I have regular facial hair. <laughs> Amon looks like he could literally like kick down a door in the flannel shirt and build you a cabin. It's true. <laughs> and all, and he fueled entirely on bacon and syrup. Mm. And I am Wolf Daddy. No clue, and because <laughs> I'm the only one who uh, went through the process of procreating on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we're such a, we're such so, uh, a dignified show, aren't we? Oh, it, it's uh, it's gonna bring out the best in all of us. We're howling. Oh, I can't even make a. I'm just barking at puns, <laughs> barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> Not no. We're supposed to save those jokes for later in the episode. I guess I'll be uh, our Andrew for the night. Oh no no ne- never never go full Andrew. <laughs> Don't do it. Friends don't let friends go full, Andrew. I respect you too much for that. <laughs> I respect your privacy, but not. But I'm asserting myself as your father by not letting you go, Andrew, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, in case uh, you couldn't tell from the title or from our uh, wolf discussion, it is now summer at the movies, and we are... Uh, we are the second episode, I believe, actually, and we are... Going into the realms of one of the most well-renowned anime films from the last decade. Yes, we are going back into the realms of Mamoru Hosoda and discussing his hit movie, Wolf Children, or Akame Kodomo no Ame to Yuki. 
Basically, so, um, when you sit down, you get a group of weeaboos together, and you say, hey, what's your favorite Hasoda movie? If someone doesn't answer Summer Wars, they're probably answering with this. Now, now, Megan, that's not entirely true. I believe that you actually get to be the exception to that rule. Is that right? Yeah, because I'm the only person who says the boy and the beast without a hint of irony. We already discussed that one, but we may uh, bring that up again, actually. And I think it's actually a good point to talk about that because uh, everyone does seem to have their favorite Mamoru Hosoda films. Some people like Wolf Children. Some people like Summer Wars. Some people like The Girl Left Through Time. And there's that one person who likes that one One Piece movie that we never got. Or our war game. Oh, and, and and the cool people all chime in and say, like, <laughs> uh, Digimon's the best movie. I mean, the but original we're... version is not the crazy version we got in America with that, what was it, Angela Anaconda shorts? Uh, yeah, the one that decided to splice up three days. We're getting way off track here. We're yeah. talking about... Let's not, t let's not derail into Digimon for this episode. Because, uh, yeah, this is actually, um... Uh, this is one of the films that um, really got a lot of people focusing on Mamoru Hosoda because um, I should probably give a premise to this. Wolf Children is a story about a young college student named Hana who, in her year in college, she actually meets a young man who turns out to be a wolf man. Um, he is part of this uh, mythical race that can pass off as human in regular life but can turn into a wolf as well. And uh, through their relationship, she they actually have two children together, Ame and Yuki. Ame is the younger son who is called Ame because he was born in the rain, and Yuki is the daughter who was born in the snow. Unfortunately, circumstances separate Wolf Daddy and Wolf Mommy, and she has to raise these two children all by herself, and that leads to a lot of heartbreak, a lot of confusion, and a whole lot of howling. And a so. lot of people getting a sexual awakening. <laughs> I don't, we're gonna hold off on that! Never said why. I'm just, I'm trying to keep this classy here. This is renowned for being a sweet, wholesome family film. Ah, uh, that's right. I will keep, I will keep my lewdness to one section. And in that, I will let you off your leash for that one entirely. Oh boy. Did you go to Gigi's house before this episode? Well, truth be told, I actually escaped from her house. Don't tell her where I am. Secret safe with me. You are totally not at, um... I'm not hiding in Florida's bunkers, just hiding away we from don't have crazy basements. Chicago there's women. Water. There's, we, don't want, there's, we don't have basements. There's water under this ground. This is a true fact, so, Noah. <laughs> I am, I'm not hiding with the alligators. <laughs> Noah Clue is just like, just like, what happened to Noah? I don't know, but sometimes I hear the alligators speaking about old animation. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... Uh, we're talking about this movie. Um, now, uh, to bring this up, uh, this was dubbed into English by Funimation. And so uh, tonight, me and my wolf children are going to be discussing the dub. We're going to talk about the direction, the writing, and the individual actors that put this masterpiece together. Are we all ready for this? Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, before we dive into this, um, I guess I should, uh, uh, like I uh, did for the Boy and the Beast episode, kind of talk about... Uh, everyone's personal backstory with this. Um, Aman, can you tell us a little bit about um, your experience with Wolf Children? Like when you first saw it or anything uh, interesting about it? Oh, yeah, I saw it. Um, I saw it back when it was kind of making its way across American subtitles. I have a story related to that, but I'll save that till later. Um, okay. I think that, 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 that wasn't my first experience with it. So, obviously, like I, I saw the Digimon movie back in the day. I'd seen The Girl for Love Through Time, and it was going through the art house circuit up here. 
I saw Summer Wars, yada yada. Uh, like, I, I, I saw it in part because, like, I knew he was a director I enjoyed, and this movie had been getting good buzz at the time, and I liked it. And then later, I think I saw... I saw it in Japanese then, obviously. And then I think I saw the dub at a con with my girlfriend. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was fun. Aww. All right. And... <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Aren't we... Aren't we... We met in anime club. <laughs> I... It's that true. That is adorable. It's that true. Is. I just wandered in one day. Well, I mean, hey, that it, we, as we've seen from this movie, that can lead somewhere. I'll, so, um, speaking of uh, meeting people in um, uh, anime-related circles, how are you doing, Megan? God damn it. <laughs> I, find, I find it appropriate that this is an episode that it consists of people who are all currently in relationships. That is yeah, true. That's true. <laughs> that, yeah. that happened entirely by accident. Yeah, yep. Just, like I think we're the only people on the podcast besides Lack who like are obviously besides Lack and Roots who aren't single. That's true. Um. No. For, so, for now. For now. For now, anyway. Uh, so I saw, I I had been a big fan of Summer Wars for uh, a while, and then I saw that this was coming out in where I live, at least in Florida. Uh, back when, uh, this was kind of making its rounds. Uh, anime didn't really come down here very much. Um, and even then, it's still kind of shoddy. Uh, it just depends on what we get, though. I did get the Boon Go movie this year. I got uh, the free... Uh, it's not a movie. It's literally like three fucking OVAs strapped together. Um, <laughs> it, it really is. And you find out Rin's mom is really hot. Um, Shocking. Thank you, Kyo Annie. Thank you. He's got a MILF and a fat cat named Steve. I don't know what else they wanted. Um... <laughs> He's got two hot pussies. God oh, and I'm the one who's not bringing any class to this episode. I'm allowed to make dad jokes, all right? I have it on my driver's license that says, allowed to make bad dad jokes. I can ask Jenny if that's true. Do I have to have You'll... Jenny get your muzzle? Yeah, Megan, I thought we were friends. <laughs> we are friends. And Stop friends betraying. don't let friends make dad jokes. Do you know every like every episode where, where Jenny's up like audio has appeared in the background? It's always like, "Are you enjoying your last night on the planet?" I'm sorry, please don't kill Noah. He's a good boy. Uh, but no, Aww. so I um, this was kind of getting passed around in like in trailers on Facebook and stuff, and um, so I had I up until I watched it for this episode, I had never seen the movie in English. Um, and that actually still holds true to this day that until the other week, outside of the Digimon movie, which I'm, I, which yes, it is a Hasoda film, but mm -hmm. it was hacked up and spliced together with three different things. So I like, it's like kind of a Hasoda movie with an asterisk. It's a third of a Hasoda film. Yeah, it's a third of a Hasoda film. So it's got a little asterisk. Um, up until I watched this movie, actually, I've never seen another Hasoda movie outside of Summer Wars in English. All I right. watched The Boy and the Beast in Japanese. I still haven't seen it in the dub, and I am terrified to watch it because that movie destroys me. But I, rem I I think my feelings, though, towards the movie have changed because I watched the movie about, like, four years ago. Five years ago, maybe, when the original, when the Japanese was out, and through methods that are not the best thing ever because I was not a very good Dark anime fan at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I was a broke college student and like streaming wasn't what it is now. That's yeah, mm. we, we give leeway in that regards. 
But I do own all of the Hisoda movies that are out as of this point that are legally available. Right. Thank I you, believe... Funimation, for putting those all out. Thank you. Yeah. Same with um, Makoto Shinkai, actually. I own all of his movies, too, now. Hmm. Oh. I, I don't even know. Wait, do you also own... Um, oh, what was the first one? He um, A Girl and Her Cat? That's on Voices of a Distant Star. Oh, okay. They There's, just, like, package it Wait, no, it I think I'm actually missing one, but that is completely out of print in the U.S., so... Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, my own experience with this film is um, uh, not quite as dramatic because um, I had uh, obviously I'd, I saw the girl who left through time and I saw Summer Wars. Um, I bought them both on uh, home video is how I watched both of those. Um, I think I got I heard about this one had come out and uh, it was actually a gift. Jennifer bought my wife bought this for me as a Valentine's present the year that it came out on home video. Um, just because she knew that I liked uh, Hasoda films. so And then we watched it together, and it turned out to be a really nice film to watch as a family because there's a lot of parallels in the difficulties of raising young children with the difficulties of raising wolf children. There's, it turns out there's really not a whole lot of difference in the trouble that they get into. Uh, the whole turning into wolves thing is you know, it's just a little caveat. There's no difference between wolf children and regular children. I feel like it's a metaphor. It's kind of uh, not so uh, thinly veiled metaphor. So, yeah, my experience is I've seen it at home video, and um, I've seen, and I've also seen all of Hasoda's other films. So, yeah, um, he's got a lot, like, I've caught a lot of the similarities in his other films. Like, he's directed The Girl Who Left Through Time, he directed Summer Wars, recently he directed The Boy and the Beast, and he has another film coming out. All of his films seem to be really focused on the difficulties of growing up with family members. It's like either becoming part of a family or growing apart from your family. He's got a real fixation on just families in general, more I than any other just yeah, director I've because seen. Because of his own life, um, I believe his father wasn't present in much of his adult life or his life in general. <clears throat> that would that would explain it. Yeah, it's kind of like, there's like a couple, a, co- a lot of the like really big name Japanese directors, if you like kind of look into their past, they kind of reflect this. Like, um, I know Miyazaki is one I really looked into because I actually did a huge like research paper on him in class and it was, and the whole caveat of the paper was, uh, you have to do it about a famous person, but you can't do why they're famous. You have so, to do like why, like why they are the way they are? Kind of, yeah. Like you couldn't like, I know for, I guess because dumb high school kids uh like someone did osama bin laden as theirs and he didn't do it because he had genuine interest in it he did it to be like a dumb shit ass white boy Mm, i I grew i i grow i grow up in the south so that explains a lot but like no i did miyazaki and i found out like um that his father worked in an aviate like was an airplane maker for world war ii and his mother had uh, his mother had spinal tuberculosis that's why she was in the hospital a lot Mm. All that fun stuff. That does explain a lot about his fascination with aircraft. That that entirely explains the wind rises. <laughs> that and uh, Porco Rosso. <laughs> but I mean, every one of the... What film doesn't feature flying? Shit, you're right. Yep. Anyways. Anyway, so uh, back on the topic of Mamoru Hosoda, whose uh, fascination with families is definitely going to be talked about on here. Speaking of families, we're going to talk about the voice acting family, actually. So, um, obviously, none of us made predictions for this. This is not one of those kind of dub talk episodes. This is, we're going to give you the cast list, what they've done, and how we felt they did in the show. So, the show, the movie. The movie! So, 
Now, uh, Amon's got an interesting uh, tidbit for this first section here, because first we're going to start talking about the director and the scriptwriter, the uh, people who decided to take the beautiful Japanese audio and convert it into equally beautiful English. So for this one, our director is Funimation veteran and cool dad at the barbecue, Mike McFarland. And our scriptwriter is uh, back and forth Texas and LA veteran and cool guy in the Dungeons and Dragons group, Patrick Seitz. Now these guys are all over the place in terms of their work so far. Like if I give you some stuff that Mike's worked on, I don't even think I have to because you could point to almost any show on your shelf and he's probably directed at least one of them. He directed the dub for Attack on Titan. He directed the dub for Blood Blockade Battlefront, part of Hyoka. But most relevant to this discussion, he directed the dubs for Summer Wars and Boy and the Beast. So he has a lot of experience with adapting Mamoru Hosoda's work to English. Likewise, Patrick Seitz has done a lot of really good writing. Like he's uh, probably best known modern times for writing the script for Anohana or for Your Lie in April. But he also was the scriptwriter for Summer Wars and Boy and the Beast. So this is actually uh, something we're going to see quite a bit of. And it turns out there's a reason for that. Aman, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, if you get the, I know at least the Blu-ray for uh, Wolf Children, there's a little commentary on there that Mike McFarlane uh, hosts. And he mentions that um, uh, he and Patrick were the uh, director and scriptwriter on the dub for Summer Wars. And apparently after that came out, the Japanese side liked it so much that when Funimation got the rights to Wolf Children, they were specifically asked, hey, can you get the people who did the dub for Summer Wars to do the dub for Wolf Children? Because we really like their work and we'd like them to do it again. Right. And, uh... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's really cool because, I mean, how many times do we get to hear the Japanese say, like, they like the English so much that they want to hear more of it? Yeah, right. By the way, the answer's 13. 13? At least 13 things on my shelf are Mike McFarlane. Oh, there you go. Oh. <laughs> so there you go. At least 13. I may be missing some because I can't remember the directors off the top of my head, but I for sure know 13 of them are. Wait, that no, 14. Is, I forgot That's one. a skill. Like, look at this, people. Look at Megan here and aspire to be able to tell who an ADR director is off the top of your head. By the way, well. it's 14, actually. No, wait. <laughs> 1516. <laughs> I, I, I forgot about Full Metal Alchemist for a second. <laughs> Just say a lot. <laughs> I totally forgot I had FMA on my shelf. So how did you like their work on this movie in particular? Oh god, I guess I'll go first because I'm already running my mouth. Um, and I think I've accidentally killed Amon. I'm alright. Um, he, he didn't drown in the river yet. <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> Uh, We're classy. <laughs> if I'm not Andrew, and you're not Andrew, and he's not Andrew, who's classying this Spartan? I'm going to keep that in the final mix just so you that better. you can let that linger. <laughs> Anyways. For silence. No, so I, like I said, I'm not super familiar with the works of his soda dubs, except for Summer Wars. Right. Which is, to date, probably one of the best dubs I think Funimation's ever done for a feature film. Uh, Summer Wars has a lot of, just, is beautifully crafted as a dub. And this also goes to this. And it's such a dip. I, I, please do not laugh at the, the turn of phrase I'm about to use. Mm-hmm. Make no promises, <laughs> but okay. This is a different animal from Summer Wars. 
That that gets a modest slow clap. Um, in that Summer Wars is a movie that is very loud and energetic and upbeat with very little pockets of quiet. Obviously, the biggest quiet scene being kind of one of the most, one of the more memorable known things. And if you follow English dub actors, if you know the story about uh, what Brina Palencia was going through while she recorded a certain scene in Summer Wars. I don't want to spoil that if you've never seen Summer Wars because it's a fantastic movie. But Mike McFarlane and Patrick Seitz as a duo is really good. And it's kind of sad that it's only relegated to his soda movies. Because Mike has a really great way of pushing actors to certain places and knowing them and knowing anime so well. And Patrick Seitz has a really good way of writing very quietly dialogued shows and very quietly dialogued movies that have just the right punch that also feel really grounded. Because that's something that I really like about Wolf Children is that the dialogue in it seems very grounded even in its most surreal moments. Like when, um, I guess it's like when Yuki's throwing up as a toddler mm -hmm. and she doesn't know to take her to the doctor or the vet. <laughs> And you just kind of see her standing out there, and she's between two, and she just gets on the payphone and calls them both back and forth. And, like, even in those moments, it still seems super grounded and very full of heart, which is really hard to do for some English dubs, especially one that... God, did the dub of this come out, like, four years ago? The premiere of it... This came out, this came out in 2012. Yeah. Oh, so this is a six-year-old dub. So, a lot of the things that you were talking about that they've directed outside of his soda works, they would go on to do after this. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So, it shows you that they had such a good foundation as a writer and director. Alright, that's, uh, I mean, I definitely agree on the fact that it's really hard to pull off some of these parts. Because uh, if you're going into this movie expecting the same, like you said, the loudness of Summer Wars, you're not going to get that. Because this is one of those movies that's a lot more quieter and contemplative. And that's, it's really hard to think, like, how would you translate that into English? Because you don't have as much dialogue to work with. But Patrick does really well because he, he, like, punctuates the scenes with, like, mellow meditation. Like, characters are kind of speaking what they're thinking or they're kind of pouring their hearts out to each other. But he also gets, like, the everyday chatter portion of it right, too. There's scenes where there's four or five characters kind of just bantering back and forth with each other. And it sounds really natural. Like, uh, scenes where the characters are out in the the uh what's it like the the farming community because they move out to the farm uh, or to the what they call the boonies at one point and a lot of the character of the farm characters just kind of banter back and forth with each other and it sounds really natural so props on patrick for doing that and mike's whole direction on this was that he does not over flood the actors with lots of like breath sounds or lots of unnecessary direction to like fill in the quiet parts he understands the parts where you're supposed to let the scenery speak for itself, let the music, the beautiful music speak for itself. So, and then, so when we do get to hear the dialogue, it like stands out a whole lot more. So yeah, full props to Mike and Patrick on this. If this is the only uh, uh, Mamoru Hosoda dub that you get to hear, you're in for a treat because it's uh, one of the higher ones in terms of all anime movie dubs. Yeah, no, I I agree. I, I I really enjoyed the direction of writing on this. Um, I'm sorry, I'm recovering from a cold. Um, yeah, no, no, I'm all right. Um, 
had a point. Uh, I, something this dub reminds me of is, um, I like how sort of almost naturalistic it feels. Like, you get anime dubs that, like, to a certain extent kind of draw attention to the self. They're, uh, they're an anime dub, you know, they have that style about them. And I like the way that this plays in much more low-key and feels much more... Like, I feel like you could put this on in the background, and if you're not watching it, you might assume this is, like, a live-action drama of some sort. Um, yeah, I... I mean, aside from the fact that, like, if you recognize the voice, the voices of the voice actors and you've, like, heard them in it right. before, yeah, I could agree that this would be almost mistaken for something that has no anime flavor to it. Yeah, and I, I sort of like that in part because for as fantastic as this movie is, it feels very, like, low-key and not, like, normal, but, like, like it, it is surprisingly unfantastic for something whose instigating instant incident is a woman meeting a werewolf, you know? Yeah, you would ca you would expect there to be a lot more mystical encounters, wouldn't you? Yeah, no, and instead it's very much about like single mom <laughs> trying to trying to do right by her kids. That's true. Um, did you have any like uh, standout moments in the dub that like really grabbed you? <sighs> I mean the uh, the bit the bit the bit after um, the bit after Hana finds out what's happened to her husband kind of stands out just for being heartbreaking. And I think I think just yeah. I think just played very well as like not coming off as like melodramatic or histrionic or anything. It it is like it's played just right, which I think particularly given the gravity of that scene is very important. Um, yeah, beyond that, I, don't, I like the way the kids are done. Like they feel they feel a lot like actual little kids, which is nice. Well, yeah, we'll have a lot to say. On yeah, the, no, I'll, I'll go. I'll go into more about that when we're actually talking about them. But like that, that also stood out to me. Like they sounded like they felt like actual children, which I think sometimes is kind of hard for like adults to do because they haven't been children in a long time. Mm. If they're not, and if they're not around them very often, it's like, well, how, how do children act? I don't know. Yeah, and especially writing them is kind of a very big pain and. And again, this is adaptive writing too, mm. so it's not like they're writing a new movie for them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like this as a movie is probably one of the few anime that actually gets children right. Because I feel like anime as a general has these very strange views of children in that they are either precious angels or like Satan themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, like, look at series like, as much as I, I enjoy Usagi Drops anime, not the manga. <laughs> Never the what manga. manga. What manga? There's no exactly. manga. It was just a. It was just a, a regular series with a couple of OVAs. Yeah, but like, they, like as much as I enjoy things like that and things like uh, sweetness and lightning, <laughs> like even then the children written in that are 100% very like grounded and stuff. And as they are kind of in the wolf children, even though these are children that turn into little mongrels. And chew up your furniture. <laughs> that is not... I'm telling you, that's not a wolf-specific thing. There are claw marks and bite marks on the furniture in my house that did not come from wolves. Mando, I didn't know you liked wood that much. <laughs> you <But> are not... <laughs> I'm not helping, I know. Giving them way too much credit. But, 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 but no. yeah, they... Go ahead. Yeah, so... I really liked how Patrick did that. And then uh, also the thing with no, uh, Amon bringing up the melodramatic things. This isn't a, an anime movie that calls for that because there are some anime that call for like stuff to be very, very like opaque, fakey melodrama. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I've watched enough shoujo to know that. 
Yeah, that kind of swings back around to what Amon was saying with the, this doesn't feel like uh, it was written or directed by to be an anime so much because, yeah, it doesn't do that shoujo melodramatic thing. Like It's probably best exemplified in the crying scenes, which full props on the direction as well because there's the kind of crying that is, you know, it's, it's like, it's just kind of weepy. And then there's realistic crying, which is unrestrained. It's ugly. Like you can see the snot rolling down and you can hear in the voice that something is so wrong that it makes you sad as well. They had a really, a couple of really big moments of that in this movie. And Mike directed it just in the right way that it matches the emotional beat they're going for. I'm good. Mm, me too. So, with that being said, um, there were there were actors in this. I believe there were uh, there were voice actors in this. That is the Wait, rumor I have heard wasn't... as well. Wait, awesome. you mean this wasn't dubbed by Talking Dogs? Well, it was, but uh, unfortunately, the concept of a movie starring Talking Dogs would not be patented until this year with the movie Isle of Dogs. Which, oh, by see. the way, you all should go see. Go see every Wes Anderson movie. Anyways, so um, we're going to talk about... Um, obviously, we're going to talk about the main characters in a bit. This movie is uh, actually a little easier for us to talk about because there aren't a whole lot of uh, characters worth talking about. So we're going to cross off a couple of the side characters just off the bat here. Um, I mean, it's a two-hour movie, so you don't have room for a whole lot of characters, but these two do stand out quite a bit. We're going to talk about Shohei Fuji, who is a teen who becomes a contemporary of Yuki in the last third of the movie. And we're also going to talk about Grandma Nirasaki, who is the most adorable Moe man who you will ever see in your life. And also uh, kind of helps Hana when she's learning to live on the farm to actually grow stuff. Because if you can't grow stuff on a farm, what are you doing there? Why are you living here? Get out. <laughs> the, you, you do not belong in Silver Spoon. Go back to your, <coughs> go back to your show. Sha -da -da. Oh, wait, that's Flying Witch. Whoopsies. Were the OPs sung by the same artist? Yes, they're both. The first OP to Silver Spoon and the opening to Flying Witch are both Miwa songs. Hmm. I'll have to believe you because I've only seen Flying Witch. I haven't actually seen Silver Spoon she yet. Also, um, are You're you watching out, the season Noah. of... Yeah. It's on the list. What? Yeah, also be are you watching this season of My Hero? Of course. She sings the ending theme to this okay. season. Okay. I, I was assuming you were going to say that, because if you were going to say she sings the opening, I'm like, wow, she's got quite the range. No, she's not. She's better than Uberworld will ever be. <laughs> I'm back on topic here. So um, our two characters, Shohei and Grandpa Nirasaki. Shohei is voiced by Jason Lebrecht who has been around with the Funimation crew for quite a while, and you have most definitely heard him in something before. Um, looking back on stuff from, like, a long time ago, he was Black Cat in the show Black Cat. Um, His he... name is Train. No, it's just Black Cat. Okay, sure. <laughs> I'm gonna Do hit I have... you with the I know Train. It, I, I know it's Train, but he's called Black... He's called number 13. He's called Black Cat. He's got a couple of names. He's got, like, seven names. Through. <laughs> So for the sake of simplicity, we're just going to call him one name. Um, he was named Slickback. For you listeners out there, there's a reason Megan's referencing a pimp called Slickback, and you have no idea what it you is. You will never understand why until... You will understand why when a certain set of vlogs come out later this year. Uh, you will. It hasn't... 
It has nothing to do with the boondocks. It has something to do with something entirely different. But uh, <clears throat> speaking of pimps, Jason Lebrex, he has also played Kiharu in uh, Megan's favorite series, Carnival. He was, um, and in more recent stuff, um, in case you've only been watching anime in the past couple of years, he was um, Hirato Suwa in Orange, and he was, and this is a very hard name to pronounce, but I'm going to try, Yahakuza Shunana in Kado, the right answer. The guy. <laughs> the alien guy with the big cube. You want to know what's really funny about that guy? And I'm only going to do this because I love making Noah, like, cry sometimes. What? Oh, no. You know what that character from Kato looks like? What? <laughs> oh, no, wait! I'm gonna save this for Wolf Daddy! Okay. <laughs> okay, fine. Say, put a pin in that for now. <laughs> make a okay, note here, well, listeners. You, okay, if you like to make me cry, I'm about to make you cry. Because, um, Grandpa Nirasaki is voiced by Jerry Russell. And hold your tears in for this. Um, he's been in quite a few shows before. He was Chen in Jormungand. He was Superato in Princess Jellyfish. He was Tabool in Romeo and Juliet. And he was General Freud Tatel in D. Gray Man. And if you know anything about Jerry Russell, we have to give a big props to him because he unfortunately passed away a couple years ago. So props up to you, man. We love you, Jerry. May you rest in peace. <sighs> Indeed. I believe if you watch all the way through the credits of the movie, uh, once they get through the English uh, dub cast, they did uh, dedicate the dub in his memory. It's true. So, uh, speaking of uh, dedication, Aman, um, these two characters, both Shohei and Nirasaki, um, do they uh, make any impression for the parts that they're in? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed both of these characters. I liked Jason as Shohei. Um, I found Sir Shohei kind of fun just because he's... I, don't, he's just, I find him, like, entertainingly sporty, I guess. Like, he's this very, like... Not like a, like he's this very like athletic guy, but he's not like you know he's not sort of an obnoxious meathead. He's he, you know he, he spends his whole time trying to, uh, getting trying to get to know Yuki just because it seems like hey you seem cool how come you never want to talk? Like I just want to I just want to hang out with with gifts. It is a hard and fast rule for men that we want what we can't have, and we can't have Yuki, <laughs> and that drives him crazy. Um, but I, I sort of liked how he he has this very like friendly, energetic side to him. But there's also a lot of there's a fair amount of the movie that kind of requires him to like slow down a little, and be more, a little more reserved, a little quieter. Mm-hmm. And I did, I did I did like that. Um, even, you know, he's not in the movie for very much. Obviously, he's only gets introduced like last third or so. Um, but I, I liked him when I was on screen. Uh, however, I really liked Jerry Russell as. Uh, Grandpa Nirasaki, I'm a sucker for grouchy old men uh, because I'm I'm on the slow road to being one anyway. So <laughs> it's my people. Dude, you're like six. You're like sixteen. Come on. I am almost thirty, dude. You, I am sixteen, going on sixty. <laughs> but um, I want to see that movie. <laughs> The kid goes from, like, being some, like, hot, young Hollywood actor to, like, turning into Bill Murray or something. <laughs> um, oh, my God. That'd be, like, the remake of Big that we never got. It's reverse. That was Tom Hanks. It, it was. I know. But still, like, I wouldn't. I would be fine with turning into Bill Murray when I get older. Um, yeah, I like I like Urasaki. I like I like I like kind of grumpy old men with a soft spot who are actually you know kind of sweet, soft-spoken people when they're not being grumpy. 
And I like that Jerry did. He, he sounded very quintessentially like that guy who, like, has been around and has no tolerance for your, for your ill-conceived attempts at farming. But he's also going to help you because he doesn't actually want you to, like, struggle. He wants you to do well because he's not actually a jerk. He likes you. <laughs> yeah, he likes you. It's like, here, have some potatoes. Grow potatoes. <laughs> that way, uh, grow a lot of potatoes. That way, when other people's crops don't do so well, they'll have food because you can give potatoes and get other things instead, like giant radishes. <laughs> also, B, if you grow a lot of potatoes, watch out for that strange brown-haired girl with the military freak. She likes them. Yep. The military fetish. She'll steal them. Is that a freaking Attack on Titan reference? What, Hell yeah, what else it would is. It be? I know there's plenty. There's shows I haven't seen before. You could be referencing anything for all I know. I mean, it could have been a motherfucking JoJo's reference. <laughs> no, no, jo we, I'm putting a stop on JoJo's references for this episode. Fine. Like Dio puts a stop on time. No. <laughs> you know what, grumpy old men, go ahead, have your JoJo's reference. Oh my god. Can I go? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It's a Patrick Seitz written show. Go for it. <laughs> It'd be a different movie if Dio just showed up in the middle of it. <laughs> oh, boy. Our... You thought it Dio was Dio Brando Daddy. just... <laughs> but it was I, Dio. Dio. <laughs> this movie would be a lot... Part 8 of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. It's very strange. Dio's got... just a farmer now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we got way off track here. Anyway, back on track. Uh, no, so I'm going to talk about Jerry Russell versus Grandpa Nirosaki because I need to eat some words mm -hmm. in regards oh to uh, Shohei. Um, gosh, I really love Jerry Russell as Grandpa Nirosaki because he is gruff and old and done with your shit, but he's also very maternal and fatherly. And one of the scenes that sticks out in the movie for me, actually, is when he and Hana are talking about how she's failed to, to, to grow stuff. And she's smiling, and he's like, would you just knock that smile off your face? <laughs> you could wipe that fucking dumbass smile, <laughs> smile off your rosy face. fucking face. <laughs> then he could give he's... me a fucking potato. No. A fucking sweet potato, a fucking russet potato, a fucking yellow potato. Four fucking spuds in a seat. It's <laughs> <laughs> the most fucks I've ever heard Noah put together. Lord of the fucking rings, the fellowship of the fucking rings. <laughs> Hobbits, Hobbits like fucking potatoes. <laughs> Future Noah, edit this part out. <laughs> keep, no, keep the potato thing in there, though. Anyways. Back on track. So, no, I, I genuinely enjoyed him. And one of the other, I think one of my other actual favorite lines in the movie is, um, I guess he's around and Ame's not at school. And he goes, Thomas Edison didn't go to school. He dropped out in the fifth grade. <laughs> if it worked for him and it worked for me, it could work for Ame. Like, it's so, just like, wait, what? <laughs> See, now, that's like a really good use of the, the adaptive script, because that could have come off as, like, unintentionally, like... Hilarious. I mean, yeah, like, it's it's serious, but it's also kind of a little bit of levity. Like, it's the right level that we needed at that yeah, moment. Yeah, and I think, too, that what really helps is Jerry Russell's delivery of it, in that he is very much still... He does not change his inflection... Absolutely. ...for how he talks to anybody when he says that. And everyone just kind of looks at him like, wait, what? You, uh, see, but, you see, kids, you cut school and you too could be a, a money moocher who rips off Tesla's ideas for your own profit. Or be, you can be a wolf man. At, you could be a man at the age of 10 and fuck all the bitches on the mountain. Um, <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to that. We'll get there. Um, 
but oh boy, I need to eat some words. Um, so if you've watched our card capture Sakura the Queer Card episode, you will you will hear that I do not believe that Jason Lebrecht is good at playing teenagers. <laughs> I am wrong. <laughs> I am very wrong. He played Shohei fantastically. He never sounded too old, especially compared to his Yuki counterpart. Um, he had the, the right amount of just being a dumb little boy, to which, by the way, pro tip, gentlemen, when you want to get a girl like you, don't tell her she smells like a dog. <laughs> that is not how you start a conversation. Somewhere there's somewhere listening to this going like, so that was my problem all these years. Ah, I, I knew it was okay, doing something so wrong. Also be, because this is probably somebody else, also be, no, you do not introduce yourself like a dog and stick your nose near her bum. <laughs> Just because she's a little, she walks on the wild side, that is not what it means. Mm-hmm. But, but he really played Shohei well, and one of the aspects of Shohei that I, I genuinely enjoyed him playing the most is in the last arc of the movie during the rainstorm where he and Yuki are hiding out in the school because he doesn't want to go home because his mom, he basically believes his mom's got a brand new daddy and is replacing him. And it's such a quiet scene between him and Yuki too, because that's also when he admits to knowing that she's been a wolf the whole time. And just Jason nails it. And that's like such a big moment to nail as an actor because that's the emotional crux, not only for your character, but it's the emotional crescendo for another character. And if he's not at the same level as the actress who is playing Yuki at that point, it can really let, like, kind of drain part of the life out of a scene. So I'm really sorry, Jason, if you've heard me say you were bad at playing teenagers ever, because you're not. Um, you were really great at this. I'm, I'm sure he's got a dartboard with your picture on it. And he's just taking that off right now. While Hotel California plays in the background. So um, I'm actually going to counter that a little bit because I have a mixed relationship with uh, Jason's performances, especially as teenagers, because um, it's not that his timbre doesn't sound right. Um, he sounds okay. Like he's on the okay side of uh, clearly adults trying to play kids in this movie. We'll, we'll talk about a different adult playing a kid in a later role but um it, it's always his acting like he, he's always acted kind of aloof in all of his roles and it's always made him seem like a little bit of a weird character even if the character he's playing is not actually supposed to be that way but that's okay for this role because Shohei is the new kid in school and he's he's kind of weird himself so Jason's natural acting just kind of fits um it, it's it's just this kind of natural weirdness that Jason always brings. I also said in the Kato episode that that's what made his performance of an alien character just naturally fit. And I don't know why he always sounds like that to me. It's, it's not I the voice. It's just also, the acting. I think that's also why his performance as Yato from Noragami is so memorable. Is that a is, character who's not... That, that's a spirit. In, he's a spirit in that show, right? He's a god. He's a god, but he's also a very kind of full of himself, aloof, uh, wandering war deity trying to put on that he is actually a god of luck. Okay. Or god of fortune or something. If you have, I I know you have like an endless backlog, but I feel like Noragami is a show you would genuinely enjoy. (laughs) I'm sure by the end of the year, I will have crossed at least that one off of the list. Hopefully you will. Mm. 
So yeah, so as far as Jason goes, um, I I know that they they weren't going to cast actual kids in this show in this movie because uh, they just they don't seem to want to do that, um, even for shows that have uh, primarily children characters in it. Like we talked about this a little bit in the Barakamon episode a while ago that they just don't like to do that at Funimation, and uh, you know what? That's okay because not a whole lot of studios do that. Funimation is no exception. So for what they got, I, have, I think Naya Post is kind of the only one who does. And what what kind of productions have they been doing that with? Like, I, is it Pokemon uh, they've been doing that with? I, I forget. I believe no. Uh, they do it in your name. They do it in your name. They have a little girl. Uh, they did it for oh. My My Miracle. Um, they do it kind of for uh, I think a. I can't say that one. Yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll hold off on that one. For, I can't that say mi- one mystery show. Well, no mystery movie. I was trying to keep it more mysterious, <laughs> but sure. Uh, Editing to the rescue. Anyway, yeah. So, so yeah, for so for uh, casting adults for uh, children, Jason Jason did this one really well. I think he just naturally fits into it, just because he naturally sounds like a weirdo. And I mean that in a high compliment. I mean, there's a high compliment, Jason. Now, as far as uh, Jerry Russell's performance goes, I love the fact that he uh, not only has the most uh, rural voice in the whole cast. Like, he, he seems to have, like, the, the most um, um, out-of-the-city kind of voice. But he also has the most phonetic acting out of all the characters. He's very to the point with his voice. All of his words are gruff and didactic. But that fits with his personality. Because while all the other characters are, like, talking about all of the things that they saw in the woods. And I, I caught a snake. And all the great things are going around me here. Like, I'm over-exaggerating, obviously. But no, uh... Jerry's performance, by contrast, is entirely didactic and to the point, and that makes him not only stand out, but it also serves as a vocal contrast that makes his character even more stand out than all the other characters. And that's why we specifically listed him in this discussion, because you need this character who kind of fills a quota of masculinity that was missing for the middle of the movie, and he does a good job in filling that in. Like, our lead character of Hana is amazing, but everyone needs a little bit of help. And it's a good thing that we got a little help from our friends here. So I think we got a performance from Jerry. I think also be um, something that the character does. I think he tells everybody else in the village to basically trade with her for potatoes. Mm. Well, not, I mean, he tells, uh, he specifically tells them all to look out for her. But it, that's not even special because he wants everyone to look out for one another. Yeah. Don't don't tell them that that he that they donated the fridge. I just enjoy I, I just enjoy the fact that somebody just had an extra fridge in their garage. It's like oh look they have a redneck fridge. Because <laughs> my family used to have a redneck fridge. It was just an extra fridge in our garage that we had when we replaced our old one. And like when I was a kid, they would just fill it with beer and ask me to run from one garage to the other with beer. <laughs> that, that, I don't think that's uh, specifically just a redneck. Like, actually, now that I think about it, Florida and Michigan are really far apart from each other. But we had an extra fridge in our garage, too. It wasn't for beer specifically, but it was for extra stuff out in the garage. Or, like, a lot of people down here do it to put, like, venison and and other, like, wild meat in. My family's just from mm-hmm. the north, so we well, put we beer in it. You know, I'm sure if we were more of a beer-drinking family, we'd probably have done it, too. I'm sure my dad had some beer in there. You more of a rosé man? Uh, what, for me or for him? 
No, for you. No, I, I'm more of a heart cider kind of guy. I pegged you as a Moscato man. Anyway. <laughs> I can do both. Anyways, that's way off the topic of the show. I'm on sitting here like, back in my day, I drank IPA beers through my beer. Oh, I hate, I hate IPAs. Never. Terrible. No, back in my day, I drank... You're not I, that I drank, much of a hipster. I drank white cans that just said the word beer on it. Not a... Beer... Oh, what, the beer, the beer from Repo Man? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> exactly. Beer, bread, beer. Beer, it gets you shit-faced. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so I guess we got uh, good things to say about our, our actors here. Um, so let's move on to... Um, that, that's all the side characters. From here on in, it's all main characters. And, uh... Oh, oh yes. boy. Oh, boy. Uh, keep, <laughs> keep your panties on, girls! We're going or to talk... boxers, men, if you're into him, too. <laughs> you know, I, even for the 50% of the men out there who aren't into wolf daddies, you might want to still uh, keep your panties on for this one. Wolf daddy, 60% of the time, all the time. <laughs> oh, oh, boy, dear. what am I going to say here? All right, this is so where my leash comes off. Wolf daddy. Um, you see a picture on the screen in front of you, people. That's right there is the guy who basically kickstarts the whole movie. And no, we're not just calling him Wolf Daddy because we're immature five-year-olds. He does not actually have a credited name, not in the it's cast just like list. Wolfman or something. Or or in the show itself or in the movie itself. He has never actually given a name. Which is kind of in, I think is a little indicative in the writing of how much they thought about him as a character. They're like, okay, we need to have kids in the movie. So I'm pretty we- sure like They've shown a picture of his driver's license. That's I'm pretty true. sure somebody out there could translate it if they know kanji. They probably could. I mean, I, I think it was a little blurry, but yeah, you could probably still shot the scene where they show his driver's license and translate that. Unless it unless it just translates to Okami-san, in which case I'll be like, of course. I mean, does. I mean, he's listed as Okami on ANN, so it might. Well, no, Okami just means. Wolf yes, I know, I know. That's why. <laughs> Okami just means wolf. It's like, um... Sorry for a weird side tangent. It's like somebody apparently for, like, one of the Thor movies blew up Thor's driver's license, and it says he lives on, like, 69 Big Hammer Lane. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, in spite of uh, not having a name, we've definitely got a name for the uh, actor who is playing him. So for this uh, masculine furriness... We decided to go through the list of DILFs at the Funimation Studio, and we found the best one. We found one Mr. David Matranga. That's why I said keep your panties on, ladies, because you have have definitely heard David before. He's played... He loves to play handsome, devilish male characters. Um, He was Dayon de Baymont in Les Chevaliers Dayon. He was... Going back to Megan's favorite show, he was a Kari in Carnival. He is... You want to talk about manly characters? He's Luke in Garo Vanishing Line. That drops some panties. Mm-hmm. And to round it out for the normies out there, because we have to list at least one character he played that was a father, he was Tomoya in the Clan Ad series, both the series and the movie. Second best dad in the mo- in the show, only behind Nagisa's dad. That is who true. Who is one of the greatest anime fathers of all time. <laughs> I can't disagree with you there. Dad, I'm pregnant! What? <laughs> like, I haven't even watched Conan, but that scene is a fucking beautiful mess. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying that they, like, made a wish to a fairy godparent, right? Or they found him in a cabbage patch or something? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> that sucks! 
of you listeners out there, you, you, and you, yes, you, we are letting Megan off the leash for this one because we cannot <laughs> talk about Wolf Children, which is a sweet family I'm movie, dreaming. without getting to the topic of the fact that Wolf Daddy and Hannah kind of got it on. Well, he was a wolf man. And she might have liked it. On Christmas. And they might have done it doggy style. Got a full 12 inches. And it's all, it's all good. It's all good. We're mature about this. By the way, Noah, uh, you remember how you were talking about Kato the right answer about a segment ago, right? Oh no, what now? <laughs> so, is it me or just the lead guy? You know it's another Dave Matronga role that I enjoy? Oh no, you're not going to bring up Brothers Conflict, are you? Oh no, I'm going worse than Brothers Conflict. Okay, uh, let me be surprised. Which one? Growl, growl, blow. Oh my god! <laughs> so, is it me? Or does the guy from Kato the um, right, right Answer look like the Alba that he was giving the Crowley blowjobs to? You're not wrong. <laughs> I, I, I tried to block dramatical murder out of my head, but... Now that you're reminding me. Oh, uh, no. I guess I'll talk about it while Noah's dying and trying to purge his brain of that image. I, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Megan, you God, just... it's such a shame that this Like, there's a spoiler alert on this. It's a shame this character dies as early as he does in the movie. Because um, he dies, like, I think in, like, the first half hour. Yeah. Yeah. Once, um, and, yeah, once Ame has a, been conceived, it's like, well, we don't need him anymore. Well, no, once Ame's been born, he doesn't. He dies when he's born. You're, you're right. I'm sorry. We, it's, it's like, a few months later, my brother was born. Jump cut to it's raining outside, and hey, where's daddy? And she finds uh, his wallet in a bag, and she eventually finds his corpse as a wolf in the river. And they, they obviously, she Hada can't say like, that's my husband, because people are gonna be like, bitch, what? <laughs> Um, excuse me, lady? Child um, Protective Service be like, okay, we have a place for you. We have a place for you and your kids. Um, but, uh, he kind of gets unceremoniously put into a dumpster and grinded into to trash. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, so what does that say about David's performance, though? That it, it that it's a shame that it's not in the movie more because it was very well done. It's very soft. That's one of the things that I'm very appreciative that they didn't do is make him have, like, a low, raspy voice. Yeah. Is that he just sounded like a normal dude that turns into a wolf that makes some people happy in more ways than one. <laughs> uh, and just, it, it is also kind of sad because, like, a lot of the time that you see them spending together is in this montage without any dialogue. Mm-hmm. And... He's such a, it's such a good performance just for the little that's there. And that's really hard to do for some people. Like a lot of especially you're already in a movie which has a very closed character arc to it, and now you're even put into a smaller like character arc too. And also one of my favorite things is at the very end of the movie where Hana sees him after she's been knocked the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And he says, it's okay, he's where he needs to be. I've been watching over you all this whole time. Like a wolfy Mufasa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a little cheesy, but it, it's a magical realism movie, so yeah, you kind of buy I it. I mean, if you're, if you're here, if you're looking for a realistic depiction of death, you get <laughs> the wrong movie. I wasn't looking for that, I was just like... Okay, my problem is that if I see magical realism, I have to overthink the details of it. 
Think of it less as magical realism as more of a fairy tale. Urban fantasy. Yeah, I find that well, helps. Yeah, okay, or yeah, urban fantasy is a better way to describe this. Now, Aman, did you uh, also thoughts on uh, Dave? I mean, I like, I, like da I, like, I like David for much the same reason that uh, Megan did. Like, I thought he was very... He was good. He was not... He did not feel like the stereotypical voice you would give, like, a werewolf. Which is what he basically is. Um, What's the stereotypical werewolf voice? Growly. Yeah, that. Like, it's like, okay, oh, okay, he's big and burly and he's a wolf. So he sounds like what a wolf would probably sound like if a wolf could talk. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, like, it was, it was just a nice performance. And he wasn't in there very much, but I thought he just brought the right quality to this character who's like... You know, even, like, in the beginning when he's, like, kind of very deliberately avoiding talking to Hana, he's still like, oh, no, a small child fell over. I shall go help him up because I'm a nice guy. That's how you know he's a nice yeah, guy. Yeah, it's, it's, that's kind of his divided character moment. It's like, he's just like, oh, oh, you fell over. Here you go. Goodbye, small child. Don't trip again. At first, you're like, it was either that or it's like, is he going to eat him? Amon's dead. Damn. I can't believe Amon's dead. You'll have to go on without me. On, the other one's not going to be on mail back order till next week. Dang it. Um, well, I, pick up the slack until he comes back. Um, David Matranga. Here's the thing. I also agree that um, there's like this universal monster movie trope of having werewolves have a much raspier, scary voice. But David never dips into that as either in his human form or his wolf form. Which, by the way, we see him speak in both human and wolf form. And he never changes pitch between them. Which I'm glad they didn't do. Because he, he specifically makes a point to say that the, the legend, the fairy tales about wolves changing under the full moon and eating people... Is, is all stuff of myth and legend. So the fact that he's still got his normal voice in both forms really uh, demonstrates that. And also, his character design as a human is really kind of normal. Like, it, it's, it's ragged, but he doesn't look scary at all. So they give him a voice that's a little gruffer than his character design, but it's just gruff enough without... Uh, really conveying a sense of monsterness to it. Like, he sounds like a totally chill hipster dude. The only thing I'd say that uh, almost didn't quite sell me on it was that he has a bit of a confession uh, kind of explains to Hana, like, um, I should probably tell you about this medical condition I've got. And when he's uh, expressing it to her, um, it's a little cheesy. Um, the music kind of helps back that up too because we get like these heavy swells of strings while he's admitting his backstory or about like this thing that he needs to confess to the person that he's in love with and it's a little cheesy in the acting and obviously so was the writing too but aside from that one moment he pulls off a lot of the really mellow contemplative moments really well and he's also like he conveys a lot of the heart especially like the part that stood out to me the best was when yuki is first born he and hana are just um thinking about what they want to be as parents, the best that they want to give to their daughter, and you buy that sense of sincerity that you you can feel from a first-time father, speaking as one. That was a part that really struck me, because as I said, I watched this movie after Oliver was born. Uh, Ruby had not been born yet, but Oliver was, so this kind of got me at like a really effective part of my life, when I had just I was still learning what being a father was like, and I'm like, that, that kind of got me. It got me right here. So David really helped in that transformation. And to finish off this bit, I just want to say definitively, 
Yes, Wolfman does got nards. <coughs> <coughs> oh, and there and he goes. There we go, awesome again. Uh, you're gonna be the death of me, Noah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I still love you. Me too. <laughs> so, um, now that we've covered the wolf man, uh, we should probably talk about the wolf children. And, uh, to, now to do, now this is going to be the longest section. If you've gotten this far into the episode, thank you. And also this will definitely be the longest section. Cause what we're going to do is we're actually going to talk about four different actresses here. Cause even though we have only two wolf children, Ame and Yuki, they are portrayed by two different voice actresses, depending on what part of the movie that you see them in. We see them with one set of voice actors in the in their child years, and then we see a different set when they've entered into elementary school. Into like, there's like a time jump where there's a couple years older, and they're like definitively voiced by different actors. So let us cover them, shall we? Let's knock that out of the way. For uh, young Yuki, we have Laura Woodhall. Laura has been in a lot of productions, such as Micah in A Certain Magical Index. She was Nina in Overlord. She's Kasori in Shimonetta. And one of Megan's other favorite shows, she was Hinami in Tokyo Ghoul. Yay! Yay. For young Ame, um, now this is one where, um, obviously, uh, we're not going to be able to get uh, young boys to voice this. So we have, a young, we have an actress voicing a young boy. In this one, we have one of my personal favorites, actually. We have Allison Victorin, who has been around the block quite a few times. Um, to kind of give an idea about the range that she's done before, you have definitely heard her as Cutie in Space Dandy. You heard her as Naru in Barakamon. You heard her as Shota in Dragon Maid, which is another male character voiced by a female actress. But all of you probably uh, remember this character as Conan in the original Funimation dub of Case Closed. Now, let's uh, jump ahead a few years, because now we're going to get into the teen versions of these characters. Teen Yuki, and also the one who does a lot of the narration for the movie, so she's actually the first voice that we hear, is played by the wonderful Jade Saxton, who you all know, so I don't have to list her credits, but I will, none of them. She is Senna in Haganai. She is Mira in Dimension W. She's Reki in Ari the Scarlet Ammo. And she is best, most adorable cinnamon roll dragon, Kano in Dragon Maid. And to round out the cast, we have teen version of Ame. Now, since Ame is 10 years old at this point in the movie, we, finally, we decided, eh, let's get a male actor in this one. And so, to round out the cast for Teen Ame, we have Micah Solasad, who you have most definitely heard in stuff like Soul and Soul Eater, or Jonah in Jormungand, or in more recent series in My Hero Academia, he plays the hero Best Genus, and he is Smile in Ping Pong, to name a few. Now, that is a long list of characters, and I suppose to break this up a little bit, uh, let's just start focusing on the two actors who play Yuki, Laura and Jade. Um, Aman, are you alive yet? Yes, I've had a cough drop. Excellent. So, um, Laura and Jade, do you have any thoughts on them? Yes, um, let me see, I'll start with Laura, uh, who I enjoyed a lot. Um, young Yuki looks like she was probably pretty fun to play, because she's this small, energetic dog child. Uh, it's been like running around and howling and tearing up the furniture and the carpet. Uh, Being a general gremlin child. Exactly. 
and and who can blame her? She's a she's a werewolf baby. What else is she gonna do? Um, and she's just she was just really fun to listen to. Just she was really having a blast playing this character, who's just you know so energetic all the time. Um, like I don't I don't know if I have anything deeper to say to that, but like she was just a delight to listen to. She was really having so much fun, and there's so much pep and zeal. My favorite part is when she's complaining like I want to go to school, I want to go to school. <laughs> I want to see other you children. Go, child. <laughs> like, I, I love the little contrast <laughs> of like kicking and screaming, and then the next cutscene, like I, a negotiating stage. Like I promise, I won't turn into a wolf. I like when she's like, "I want to go to school," and then like her ears and shit pop yeah, out. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's a nice it's just a whole nice bit. Uh, I'll give full credit. Mm -hmm. This was definitely the actor that reminded me the most of Oliver for me because, yeah, I've got these. I've had those moments. I've had the. I want to go for a walk, Oliver. We. J I want to go for a walk, <laughs> Oliver. It's time for. I want to go for a walk. Um, yeah, I, jo I enjoy Laurel. Uh, I enjoy Laurel walk, uh, and I like I like Jad. I like Jad. I like Jade as well. Um, I would say I think she she probably had one of the tougher roles just because she has to be like the on and off narrator for most of the movie, um, and then also like play a character who has or at least concludes an arc. Um, but I like I, I liked how she yeah I like she she seemed to be the one who had to do the lifting of like Yuki's transformation from or doing doing a lot from kind of the conclusion of like Yuki turning from somebody who is. Very, very, very energetic and tomboyish, and just finding that, like, as she gets older, um, like, she kind of fits in a little better, being a little more reserved, not being into, like, bugs and so on. Um, and then also ending, um, coming into this sort of relationship with, um, uh, Sohei, where, like, you know, she finds him annoying, but not, and, you know, she ends up feeling kind of guilty and she injures him, but that ends up becoming this friendship, sort of. Um blossoming romance. Yeah, exactly. And just, uh, you know, it all, it all culminates in the scene where, like, you know, she reveals, like, you know, yes, you know, she she reveals that she's a wolf. He admits, like, yes, you know, I knew all along that it's okay. Uh, and it's just, it's it's a nice little bit, I thought. Um, she just kind of bought this nice sort of gentleness of the character. Like, you could still see the energetic child that this person came from, but also, like, the ways that she's kind of matured and changed in the years since then. I thought that's a good comparison, the, the idea that you can see the bits of Jade that were influenced by Laura. Like, especially in the scenes where uh, the teen versions of Yuki and Ami are having, like, this kind of fight with each other <laughs> over going back to school. And he, she, like, Jade gets really into it and breaks that peaceful demeanor that she's been kind of masking up to that point. Mm. Just lets it out and then starts sobbing and crying. Yeah, and that's, that's the part... That got me the most was like it's the most heartbreaking crying scene in the movie because she's like she's like you can see all these emotions about not knowing who exactly she wants to be being on the road to wanting to be a human more than a wolf but still having that those lingering doubts in her and I'll get yeah, full no, that's go ahead yeah that's, that scene upsets me it upsets you yeah, like, I have a lot to say about Ame and Yuki's character arcs uh, about things about it, and just how I particularly read the film, so. Okay, um, tell you what, let, let's talk about that after we're done talking about the actors. Yeah, I, I'll talk about that after I talk about the actors. Okay, alright. So, um, like, yeah, like I was saying, like, Jade, 
Uh, really good props on uh, sounding like an 11-year-old girl, actually. Like, I, I know that's hard to do when you're not 11, but her her uh, the voice that she gives to uh, Yuki is still, like, believable as an 11-year-old, even if the writing's a little more mature than a typical 11-year-old. Uh, but it's And also, uh, she's got, like, tons of pep and optimism throughout the whole thing. And um, I also like the fact that she kind of breaks up the difference between her narrator bits and the in-movie bits because she gets a lot more phonetic when she's narrating the movie and then when she's actually acting like you can hear the the difference in pitch when she's talking to characters or when she's like contemplating uh with Sohei what they're going to do uh if they're trapped at school which it's a silly conceit obviously someone's going to come back for them but it's still like it's bearing a mentality that kind of gets into an 11 year old who is at a crossroads of her life and I, I've been saying all this about Jade because for Laura, I have all, all just the good things to say about that. And it's all wrapped up in how fussy and humorous she is. Laura is by far the funniest actor in the entire world. Like, Jerry is great. Laura just knocks it out of the park with every uh, every bit of oh my God, screaming. And, oh, yeah, the, the entire uh, scene where they first uh, move out to the countryside and she's just like... Like being like this childlike awesomeness about, I have no attention span. I'm gonna go look at everything. I love that so much. So yeah, so <laughs> Laura and Jade, really good job on the very different parts of this character. Um, I honestly would be totally fine if they decided to make a Wolf Children TV series where it's just Laura and like her adventures. Like there's like a side story of like she's got a new adventure every episode. <laughs> Uh, we're just talking about Laura right now, right? Yeah, Laura well, and uh, Jade. Yuki. Yeah, okay. just talking about Yuki. So yeah, I'll, I'll start with Laura because Laura, God, she's so precious in this movie. Like, I want to go for a walk! <laughs> I want to go for a walk right now! Mom! Dude, no! Like, I feel like she really encapsulates, like, what a what a weird little wild child is. Because, like, I can feel my, like, I can kind of, like, very much see, like, stupid crap I used to do as a child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of in that voice as like an angry little girl an angry little tomboy girl but I was also kind of an angry anxious little tomboy girl so yeah. I had a lot of Ame mixed in there too <laughs> uh, but for me one of my one of my favorite things is um, I guess it's when she's trying to convince the mom to let her go to school <laughs> and it's uh, around when they're uh, trading the food and they're all like <laughs> I think they say wow Hana none of the boars attacked your yard <laughs> um <laughs> And she's like, hi, everybody, I gotta pee! And then she turns into a wolf and comes back around. So it's implied that, like, Ame or Yuki has been peeing around the crop. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, like, my favorite small detail in the movie. And they just, like, don't overtly say it. But, like, the look on Hana's face when she puts two and two together. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, oh. But one of the things I really want to talk about with Kid, uh, when you have child characters and adult characters played by two different actors, is that you need to always have somebody who can easily, you can transition them into it and it be believable. And I, I think I mentioned this on the Legend of the Galactic Heroes episode, actually, that that's another really good example of where they do that with um, young young, but especially uh, young Kirschites and young Reinhard. And they nailed it with Laura Woodhall, of all people, going into Jade Saxton. Because, um, and I thank you actually for bringing up, of all people, Hinami from Tokyo Ghoul, because she is a soft-spoken character. Um, so it sells that 
Allison could match into... I'm sorry, Laura could uh, match into Jade, and Jade could draw from Laura. And Jade, Jade as narrator, I could actually... Uh, fun, fun fact. I, for some dumb reason, thought Alexis Tipton played Yuki. It's and in the first five minutes of the movie... Uh, she starts kind of narrating, and I'm like, why is Alexis Tipton doing her best Jade Saxton impression? <laughs> oh, wait. That's just Jade Saxton. It's like, um, oh, wow, that's a really good Jade Saxton impression. I am, <laughs> I am smart. I am so smart. S-M-R-T. Um, it's okay, Megan. It's all right. But no, I have, like, I, I can't really reiterate more than what they, they say, and I kind of want to transition this into what kind of does dampen the movie for me a little bit. And it's not any of these two performances. But it is the fact that uh, Yuki as a character kind of has to give up a lot of non-traditional girly things to fit in. And that kind of hurts as somebody who was not a traditional girly girl as a child. I felt like, okay, Ame, like, Yuki has to concede all of these things. And especially juxtaposed to how Ame acts later in the movie, like, I'm not gonna lie, Ame is kind of the worst character in the movie for me. Mm. Um, Ame is the fucking worst. I'm sorry. Um, and do you hear that? that... Do, do you hear that, Megan? That's the sound of nobody in the audience disagreeing with you. <laughs> That's why the scene in, with the bathtub hurt, like, the scene where they fight and she ends up in the bathtub crying her eyes out hurts so much. Is because, like, for a lot of the movie, it portrays Ame and Yuki being very close. Yeah. And that's kind of what breaks them apart as a brother and sister. Also, B, the movie kind of, like, also painted that Ame's getting picked on for being wild, and that being wild doesn't get you any friends, and I was just like, okay, that's kind of bullshit. Well, actually, um, I'm gonna disagree with you on that a little bit. Um, we'll, we'll get to Ame in just a bit, but I don't think he was getting picked on because he was wild. I think he was getting picked on because he was kind of, he's more antisocial, because you see his first, like, day going to oh, school. Oh yeah, he is kind of, like, always sitting away from people, and Yuki's he's always, not... like, shoving herself into conversation. Yeah, and um, as someone who, who, um, who was very easygoing with people, but also under, I understand how easy it is to be made, to be picked on because you're not as, uh, you're not social as in tune with social. Like, it's not that you're not social. It's that you don't all, you don't get other people all the time. And then that makes you seem weird to other people. That's something that Ame seemed to be going through quite a bit. He didn't fit in with anyone. And then that gave them leeway to pick on him, which in turn made him even less likely to get along with anyone, which is why he stopped going to school at by second grade, third grade, no, third grade. Yeah, he like stops going to school at third grade and he learns from the, uh, the Spox and, and the mountains and stuff. But, um, I guess, can we use that to transition into Yuki, I guess? Yeah, that's actually what I think that's a or good Or no, Ame anyway. Sorry, my bad. You're right. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'll, I guess I'll just start talking about Ame then myself. Um... I would love to talk about Micah Solisod more in this, because this is probably, uh, this is actually something that, not on a commentary for wolf children that I know, but actually for a, a Noragami commentary that I've watched, is that, um, his character in, did you give roles for Micah? Oh yeah, you did. Yeah. His character, uh, Yukine, in Noragami is around the same age as Ame, and it pushes Micah's register very high. And he had specifically mentioned that not since wolf children had he had to push himself to that high of a register. 
and it kind of sucks because older Ame doesn't have that many lines. <laughs> That's probably, honestly, I think it's kind of for the best. Um, I enjoyed the performance. It's not my favorite Micah performance. I'm not going to go out of my way to say that it is, and I love all Micah performances, even though he is one of my favorite voice actors. Uh, it is serviceable, and it transitions really well from who is the star as Ame, which is Allison Victorin, who, even as a younger kid, Ame is very quiet, and he cries a lot. And I have to wonder, is when he's a super little baby, when they're still in the apartment, if that was Allison Victorin making crying noises? Or if that was a carryover from the South design? I'm going to assume it was her actually crying in the booth. Damn, she did a really good convincing baby cry. I, I mean, just like, I, I was listening to the timbre of it, and I had the same question, too. I was like, did they actually have like, Allison record that? Allison, like, Allison come in and cry like a baby for, like, 20 minutes. Um... But for me, uh, there is one specific scene that Allison Victorin had to nail. And that is when Ame almost drowns. <sighs> and that's where he kind of starts transitioning into not-so-nice Ame. Uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> um, that, is, that is the day that I think Jade, uh, Jade, by the way, delivers this wonderfully as the narrator... That was the day my brother stopped being timid. Mm-hmm. And it real and she flicks that switch too, and there's this very weird, very strange scene of Ame laying there. And he's like, Mommy, I saw a kingfisher, and it's a little bit kind of sociopathic. <laughs> I could see it's the It's a little scary. It's a little scary. It's a little unnerving. Well, it is. Well, it's. But give props to Alison on this. It was still in character. Oh no, it was completely in character, and that's why I'm I'm pointing it out that she nailed it. Is that she has to be? It has to be a little bit creepy and tensions, tensions, because you know, all of a sudden Yuki's like, "Oh, I didn't die. I can't die. I am the wolf. <laughs> Mommy, I killed. I almost killed a bird." And, H and Hannah and Hannah's just sitting there thinking, like, oh, God, it almost happened again. Oh, I, I, that's, like, obvious. Is it oh, also my God. Actually... I never thought about Come on. I never thought about No, that. I just realized that now. It's like, oh, my God. He almost Holy died the same way his dad did. Shit. I never also, thought. B, if you look at, also, B, if you look at the feathers on the bird, they are very similar to the pheasant, bird, the pheasant that he was trying to do. You are right. I never thought of that. Holy crap. That's like, um, that's like in Yamato, like, weird side tangent. That was like when, uh, Andrew was watching Yamato. And he's like, I never realized, and I think this is also an Allison Victoria Royal <laughs> character, too. Um, oh my god, the guy that this X character holds as a giant laser goes through a building and saves the city from falling up them. That's the daughter of X character who died! Holy shit! Oh my god, you have no idea! Oh my god. Like, I thought I got this movie. Like, I understood the parallels. Like, if there's snow on the ground, or if there's rain, something significant is going to happen because the characters are obviously named Ame, which is rain, and Yuki, which means snow. But I missed that detail about nearly drowning like his dad did. Oh my god. Yeah, like and it's, it's, it's also... Yeah, you're right. Like, everything bad only happens in rain and snow in this movie. <laughs> Everyone. It, it's like a... Uh, it's like... Uh, God, what's his name? What, what's that one really pretentious writer? Um, Ernest Hemingway. It's like an Ernest Hemingway novel. <laughs> that that, that uh, bastard. 
Ernest Hemingway. I forgot. I know you hate Ernest Hemingway, and I know you also hate the guy who wrote Moby Dick. I hate Herman Melville. I really do. <laughs> See, I really need you to watch Boongo Stray Dog Season 2 when one of the villains is Herman Melville. <laughs> yeah, I do. Just from the fact that all the characters are based on authors, I, I have been meaning to check out Boongo Stray Dogs. Boongo Stray Dogs is a ton of fun. There is an entire fight scene that comes in Season 2. Okay, like, a weird tangent. So John Steinbeck is a character in Season 2, and his ability is literally shooting grapes at people and making them infect them. You're lying. I don't know that author. <laughs> I'm not dead. You wrote the, you you know wrote the, the Grapes of Wrath, Noah. Oh! oh I, I didn't think they'd be that on the nose, though. No, like a couple of them are pretty cl- are pretty clever. Like, um, is there? Does he shoot mice and men too? No, just the grapes. Okay, I'm like. And 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 Lovecraft is a tentacle monster. Um. <laughs> I tell you what, tell you what, I'll watch Bungo Stray Dogs if you watch Reader Die the OVA. I can't. It's not legally streaming. I will bring a copy with me to a fest. I I'm not. You know, pick something that's streaming. I'm just saying that's another series where. Uh, in that case, it's famous scientists are personified as supervillains with superpowers. Oh, Lord. It's awesome. Pick a, pick, seriously, pick something that's streaming that I that isn't etchy and I will do it. <laughs> well, that limits it down Cause quite you a bit. Because you were going to immediately go for My First Girlfriend is a Gal, and you know I hate that show. Oh, no, no. That, that's not nearly literary enough. No, I'll, I'll think of something later. But anyways, on the topic of... What, you mean uh, softcore I'll... porn isn't literature? No, no, it is. It is. It's just, um, you know... You, we're, we're classier. We're a classier organization than that. As you can tell from the last hour and a half of this episode. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> okay, um, so I want to talk about um, Allison very quickly because uh, she has uh, almost a um, an underrated job in this one because Ame, as a kid, does not get a whole lot to say or do. The first time where we really get a chance to hear him speak is kind of a gut wrench because his very first dialogue in the movie is talking to his mom about how he laments that wolves are always killed in fairy tales. He's looking at stuff like, you know, the Three Little Pigs or Red Riding Hood. And every time, and he's right. Wolves are always personified as the villains there. And that kind of, it, it makes sense because he, his dad was a wolf. He's a wolf. And he doesn't quite understand, are we the bad guys? Why are we always villainized? We're not bad. And so, Are we the baddies? It, no, no, it's not like that. That gift, they actually are the baddies. But in, although Ame is kind of a bastard later on. So, anyways, that's not the point. Allison's uh, portrayal of that is really different than anything I've really heard her in because I'm used to her playing peppy, upbeat characters. Like, I know her best is Naru and Barakamon, which is like the dynamic opposite of this. And I'm really impressed by how much she gets across all of the whimpering and the, the quiet talking that Ame's got in his voice. And, and especially in carrying over to the scene where he nearly drowns, he, she never changes personality. She keeps the same pitch, tone, speaking pattern, while still having this almost complete change in thought process that Ame goes through when he realizes that he likes the wild, he likes the hunt, he likes the thrill that being a wolf gives him. So really, I really liked Allison's portrayal on that, and it really does push beyond what I'm used to her portraying, so I always like hearing that. Now on to Micah. I'm gonna say this, he's not wrong in the dramatic department. For the lines that he has, he, he gets the character. He gets the transition of young boy becoming young man and deciding that he would much rather live amongst the animals than amongst the humans. 
that's not a problem. The problem just comes back to the pitch. No matter how much you pitch up your, your adult male voice actor, it's always going to be difficult to believe that as a young boy. As a boy of 10. 10 years old. I don't believe they actually pitch up his voice. No, that's just him pushing his voice. Well, that's what I mean. I'm saying, like, going into a falsetto... As an actor, there's only so far you can get before it stops being believable. And he I don't True. even think he goes up that high. Like, he doesn't give himself that high of a voice. So, the... It's it just... From the very moment he says the word, Yep, I'm skipping school. I'm like, I'm done. No, I'm sorry. That That's... No. Go back. Go get me a Tara Strong or a... Like, a, some actress who plays little boys i'm not saying again i'm not saying the dramatic was wrong on that one it's just this was an instance where i think it was a bit of a miscast to not try to find uh either a teenager or uh a teen or an, an adult male who can sound more like a teenager or the, not, not even teen i'm sorry he's 10 years old so that that's what's throwing me off more is that he's supposed to be 10 years old and it just doesn't sound like it see i, but, I like you said like you said, he had he had only a handful of lines, and he's dramatically he's in exactly the right spot. Like he conveys the transition of Ame into what he's going to be, into the accepting that he likes living amongst the animals, and that's where he's going to go. It's just it takes me out of it with the voice. Yeah, I find I find that amusing because if you listen to the commentary track when uh, Mike's talking to Micah about the role, he initially starts calling him uh, adult Ame. And he's like, well, he's not an adult. He's like ten. Yeah, <laughs> they um, actually they noticed that. I think I think that's supposed to be part of the irony. Is like as Hannah points out, it's like, all right, yes, ten is an adult for a wolf, but you're not a wolf. You're a boy wolf. This is really confusing. I wish I'd re- I wish I wish my husband had left notes. Well, um, we'll compromise and say fifteen. How about sure. that? Fifteen is an adult. <laughs> um. I do, I do kind of wish that, like, after, like, I wish there was, like, more stuff about, like, what happens after the movie. Like, does Ami just ever come by and just, like, check on her or anything? I mean, he's right what? there. Yeah, I mean, in, in the last shot we see is Hana listening in her house, and we hear him howling from, it's obviously he's far away, but he's still keeping an eye on her. It's like when your kids move out. You know, they visit occasionally still. I mean, I want to point out that Yuki leaves her mom, too, at the end of the movie. Oh, yeah, no, she goes to a boarding school. Exactly. Well, it, yeah. So, th- let's not give Ame all the grief here for <laughs> abandoning his mother. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not saying, I'm not giving Ame all the grief for abandoning his mom. I'm just saying, like, the movie kind of, like, Ame kind of gets to achieve everything he, like, I don't, I don't know. It's just really weird that, like... Ame and the mom have to give up, like, Yuki and the mom kind of have to give up, like, all these, like, non-traditional girly things, like, she gives up studying to be a mom, which there's no, there's no shame in that. There's no shame in that at all. Right. I'm not saying there is. No, you're saying, but she does give up what she was set out in college to do. Yeah, for, like, and Yuki kind of has to give up, like, being into bugs and boys and all that, like, bugs and- Bugs and and boys. Running around and, not, not boys, bugs and nature, and Ame kind of is just like- Oh, hey, I don't have to, like, give up really anything. I just get to do what I want, and I'm the only male character that does. That That is male privilege, unfortunately, in a nutshell. Mm. It's like, oh, well, I get to kind of just go do my fucking thing, and no one cares. And also, be God, like, the scene where, like, he drops the mo- her, her, like, unceremoniously, like, in the wet parking lot, and it's just like, oh, God, he looks just like the dad. <laughs> and he's only ten! Yeah. Um, but that's like 70 in wolf dog years. 
70 in dog years. Back in my day. <laughs> so, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Amon, you were uh, talking about uh, Allison and Micah's performances. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like, I enjoyed Micah dramatically, even though, like, when Stame's, like, a teenager, 10 or whatever, he doesn't talk nearly as much. Um, I did like Mike. I did like what Micah brought to it. Um, the fact that he signed a little didn't bother me too much, just because I feel I feel like I feel like they are playing a little with that age confusion, where like he's not really an adult, but he is also one kind of at the same time. Um, but I thought he he brought the right kind of quality to his voice. I also um, also speaking of that commentary, I kind of found it interesting. One of the things Mike talks about with people is like. Um, like, you know, does the character resonate with you in some fashion? You know, when he's talking to Laura and Allison, they're talking about like, oh, no, I was very much this kind of a kid. Um, when he's talking to Micah about that, he's referencing like, you know, yeah, because, you know, Ame has this whole thing about trying to be in touch with his wolf heritage, which he can't do very easily because, you know, his dad's dead. The only wolf in the area is this trained, you know, domestic Russian thing that, you know, has never lived out in the wild. And Micah was kind of talking about like, um... You know, he's, I think he's of Japanese descent. He's originally from Hawaii, which, if you don't know, has, like, a very prominent um, Japanese and Japanese-American, because uh, a lot of culture there. And he's kind of talking about, like, once he moved to Texas, he came to this thing where, like, stuff that was very normal to him in Hawaii uh, that he would do that, like, would not bat an eye. People were like, why are you doing that? And it's like, well, this is normal, right? And they're like, no, no, not at all. Why are you doing that? And so, and so the, it's sort of the sense of, like, being in a scenario where, like, what seems... Like what what you would always expect to just kind of go about happening is kind of odd now, which I found kind of interesting given what Ame's arc is in the movie. Um, and also agree, like I also I I also really enjoyed what Allison brought to the role. I thought she kind of nailed that very much like quiet, shy, reserved child who's you know not very active or gregarious. They kind of keep to themselves. And also, I agree with Megan a lot. I thought she played that scene where he, uh, Alma gets fished out of the river uh, very, very well. Which I think was, you know, definitely necessary because I agree. Like, that's very much the turning point of that character. And I think if you don't play that just right, it spoils things. Um, so a lot goes to her for that, too. I, I, one thing, last thing I just want to point out is that um, I, I, the way that the, uh, the Ame is directed uh, as a kid kind of may give the sense that he's a weak character, but I like the fact that Allison portrays him more as just a scared uh, scared character mm. and not really a weak kid. Like, the transition from him from going from, um, can we just go back home now, to I'm a butch motherfucker, is, doesn't come completely out of nowhere, because he's just, he's scared as a kid, and then... The timidness goes away, but he never—he was never a weak character to begin with. So, um, yeah, um, those are the wolf children. Um, Megan, did you have any other thoughts on just the uh, the no, overall? No, I'm arc? good. You're, okay, that you got your words out on that one. <laughs> yeah, I got my words out on that. Okay, and I, I get where you're coming from on that as well. There's there's definitely a lean where it feels like uh, there's a reason Ame is kind of a little despised amongst the anime community. <laughs> I honestly, like, I honestly didn't know that other people didn't like the character. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. Okay, every Twitter, or I'm sorry, every Mother's Day, go around Annie Twitter and see how many of them posted, and here's to Ame, the biggest piece of shit for leaving his mom, posts. <laughs> see, I don't even think it's like a piece, he's like a piece of shit for leaving his mom. I'm like, I'm not mad about him leaving his mom. Right, I'm right. mad that he's like kind of a dick to his sister about everything. Like, and he beats her up pretty badly and never apologizes. And, like, he never apologizes for any of the things that she does. And yeah. I feel like Yuki, like, 
Yuki wasn't being, like, super malicious. She was just trying to help him. Yeah, she was. Um, maybe not as understanding about where he wants to go in life, because he clear like, the that whole scene where they're arguing with each other is very, very smartly directed to, because you see them split by the table, and you see her half of the table's got books and paper that she's writing on, and his side's got nothing. He is just kicking back. He is all nature boy at that point. So I, I, I get... Yeah, also be the shot of him, like, with the red eyes, just fucking terrifying, too. <laughs> Did that? It's like, okay, movie! <laughs> okay, yeah, we, we, we've uh, kind of slipped into, uh... Oh, God, what, what's that one? I, I don't know. I'm thinking of a movie where the character's eyes glow red when they're evil. It's Jinro. It's like, fucking, some fucking yeah, Yes, yes, that's shit. it. I was like, I couldn't remember the name of it. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, Jinro. cheeky shit. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot to talk about with the wolf children. Now, you may think, um, well, they're the titular character. Shouldn't wolf children be the final characters you talk about? No, because even though they are the titular characters, we do not consider them the star characters. We consider that to be the one who is the greatest mother on all anime top ten lists when it comes to anime moms. And that is, of course, our final character. So, number one anime mom of all time is... We're going to talk about Hana, who is the, I mean, building up this entire, this entire uh, podcast here. And when you think of great mothers who not only gave up a whole lot for their children, but are also incredibly supportive and build an entire new life for their children all on their own, this is the poster mother that you should be looking at here. This is the reason that Mother's Day exists. And to get that kind of performance in English, you're going to need only the best of the best. In this case, we got the best of the best of the best, which is, of course, our very own Colleen Clinkenbeard, who is no stranger to playing maternal figures. In fact, she's been all over the board. Um, in terms of maternal figures, recently she played Titania in Megas Bride. Or is it Titania? I'm not quite Titania. sure. Titania. I'm looking at the character designs. I'm not sure what how to pronounce that exactly. It's Titania, you tit. <laughs> tit. Um, she's. Oh my god! I'm gonna kick your ass in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna wow. beat your ass in front of the rest of the podcast. Wow. Now is that before or after we hug it out? Hardy isn't going to be the only one suplexing you that weekend. Oh. <laughs> coming coming this summer to Texas, Nerd Fights 2018. <laughs> no, it's not a nerd fight. You guys have obviously seen Gravity Falls, right? Uh-huh. Baby yeah. fights. There we go. <laughs> just me and Noah just sitting on the floor smacking each other. <laughs> I, I want that on a t-shirt now. I'm going to kick your ass in <laughs> Texas. Yeehaw! Motherfucker! Like time for me to go to the rodeo and beat your ass like a clown! I mean, it sounds like a movie tagline from, like, an a cheesy 80s action movie. God damn it. Back, back on topic here, though. Uh, like I said, Colleen's been around for a while, uh, just to cover some other things she's been in. She was also uh, Yoko in XXXholic. It's Yuko, not Yoko. God, Jesus Christ. See, this is why I shouldn't handwrite stuff, because my U's turn into O's if I'm writing too quickly. Sorry. But you know who I'm talking about. Um, she's also um, in another modern role. She's Momo in My Hero Academia. But probably her most definitive mother role of all time, Monkey D. Luffy in One Piece. Luffy is the mother and father to that crew. 
He, she, it. He, she. Yeah, he is. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm trying to think of, like, a good stinger for a way to end this cast list. I'm like, who's the most motherly role? I'm like, ah, just go with Luffy. <laughs> so, um, uh, this is going to give us a lot to talk about because Hana is the one who goes through the most character development throughout the whole thing. She is changed the most by the events of the whole thing, and I guess we're probably going to have to talk a little bit about whether or not we, uh, not only what well, we thought about Colleen's performance, but also the way that it was written from beginning to end. Uh, I, I think, Aman, you should get to go first on this. I, mean, I, like, I like this performance a lot. I thought Hana... I liked Hana's arc, I guess. Like, I, I, I just enjoyed watching this woman, like, be put into a weird circumstance and then experience this tragedy and basically kind of have to figure out on her own, all right, how can I do well by my children who i can't just you know i can't just plop back into society how am i going to pull this off and just watching her go through with that and just you know you, you can you can always just see the love and affection she had for her kids in this movie and i think colleen did a wonderful job of bringing that out uh, just her dedication and her sweetness and her loyalty um and it's it's, it's kind of beautiful um, that also helps that, like, my mom has that haircut, so. <laughs> Which I know is Your weird, mom, but it's like, way, I, no. can't, I, I, I think we bring it up in the, dude, his mom's house is fucking baller. Oh, it is. I, I like, I, I want the, the fully end design, like, like, the sink is the thing that I was looking at, like, I want that. Like, like, this, this jeweled... Uh, tile. Oh, I wasn't sink. talking like, about oh Hana's. I wasn't talking about Hana. I was talking about Amon's oh. actual mother. You know, I'm just gonna take this. No, no, bit keep out, it. I'm it was sorry, great. I didn't know which one you're talking no, about. I mean, look, look, look. You're look. You're right. That house is. Yeah, beautiful. that house in the movie is. I would, I would, I would, I would 100 percent live there. That is a gorgeous Same. house. Um, I, I have been told that Amon's house is not only baller, but is like the only house on the planet that has three floors. That's not true. No. I, I, you need to come to Boston. No, no, that is the only one. It definitely has three floors. Um, I had a point. What was it? I like Colleen in this a lot. Um, I just she she has to go through a lot in this movie, of like joy and tragedy and sorrow, and you know, like even though like she's not the narrator, even though she is not the title character, I do think of this movie as being her story more than anyone else's, um, and like a. She's a very like this. This performance is essential. If you don't get Hana right, I think the whole dub kind of falls apart. And I, I just love what Colleen did here. It's like, yes, I care about this character so much, and I want her to succeed so much. And Colleen just helped build that sense of empathy so well. Nice. I find it interesting that you said that your mom has the same haircut because I I, was, I, I specifically remembered that the character designer for this movie is Yoshiyuki Sadamoto, yep. who also designed the character designs for Evangelion. So I'm like I'm like trying to imagine your mom being designed for the Evangelion world. I would also like to point out that my Which, mom also has the same haircut. It's a very it's a it's a, it's it's a mom it's cut. Like that like that like kind of like just like just past their like your your chin bob. Right. Yeah. yeah my yeah. mom also has that haircut. A little it's better than the I want to see the manager haircut at least. <laughs> Where is that meme coming from? 
Someone at my work even referenced you, I, that, and I'm I'll like, how did you, you hear about that? I'll explain to you after this. Becky. No, I, I know. No, I, never mind. Uh, no, but Hana does not want to speak to the manager because she's far too good for that ever. Hana is what every parent should aspire to be, um, even if she's not a real human. And Colleen just, this is like, everyone's probably like, Luffy is Colleen's defining role, or uh, Urza from Fairy Tale is Colleen's <laughs> defining role. And I'm like, no, it is this role. <laughs> this soft spoken, demure, yet hard and wonderful, warm performance that just carries the shit out of this movie. Like, it is so flawless. And I rarely use that word as flawless as anyone could ever be. She brings that character to life. And it is so hard pressed to do that in under two hours. And it's just incredible. Like, it's just so beautiful and it's hard to put into words why I enjoy it so much. But, man, if anybody hasn't seen this movie or only reduces Colleen down to Urza and Luffy, they need to be strapped to a chair clockwork orange style to listen to this. No, no, I mean, like, you should be allowed to enjoy okay, this fine. movie. Don't, don't force anyone to <laughs> well, watch it. Well, if you haven't watched it, why haven't you? Because it's one of the, it's probably one of the best anime movies out there, uh, despite my nitpicks with it. Um... But just Jesus, just go, man. I can't. I can't explain it. That that is really a testament because a lot of the times on this podcast we'll have people who have plenty of things to say about why they like a role, but sometimes you just get that one that is so perfectly iconic that you can't even like to to describe it to try to put into words why it's so good would do it a disservice. You should just listen to it in itself. So for Col and Colleen uh, gets this, uh, she, she has one uh, part in this whole thing, like one trick that she seems to get that is seems like quintessentially like something a parent would do. Like not only um, does she um, keep her composure even when situations get really rough because she doesn't want her children to um, become disturbed by stuff that's bothering her, but she also has these little vocal tics that kind of mask the things that she's feeling that are troubling her like the idea that her, their crops are dying or that they're not going to have enough money to survive off of or that the hey guys we don't have a dad anymore i'm gonna have to do this all on my own like she seems to mask all of that and they kind of explain near the beginning of the movie that the reason that hana the character does that is because she was advised by her late father to always smile um partly as a coping mechanism but also as a way to um, just make the world a better place. And in the way that parents will sometimes do the same thing for their own children, Colleen seems to really get that in a lot of the lines when she's talking with her children and just trying to make their own lives as good as she can make it in protecting them, providing for them, accommodating their eccentricities, not just as wolf children, but just as rambunctious children themselves. Like regular human children have more than enough problems as it is, as you would know if you've dealt with any children ever in the planet. So Colleen's entire portrayal of this just gets all the flavors of being a parent. Like, I can't even say that 
this is a not human character because mothers are not human they are the best of them at least are supernatural in being and she definitely portrays the sense of the writer was trying to get where the writer and i'm assuming hasoda himself was trying to convey how much awe and respect they have for their mothers through this character that you might try to say is too perfect but honestly portrays a lot of what we as parents are always striving to get and it's great to see an example of that portrayed by colleen's absolutely flawless performance You know, honestly, we probably should have uh, released this for Mother's Day, so let's call this a belated <laughs> Mother's Day episode. Yeah, like, I think all of us are still pretty, uh, are we, I would assume that we're all pretty close to our moms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, I love my, I love my mom, like, I guess it's, like, weird to talk about, like, she, she, th like, I am a shit gremlin, I am, but I'm her shit gremlin. I swear, <laughs> I curse, like. Aww. But I, I'm happy that she, of all the children in the world that she could pick to have, she picked me. So, Aww. I love you, Mom. Even though I am your crying pain in the ass child who doesn't pick up her laundry. And keeps leaving things in the dryer. <laughs> well, to be fair, that's, like, Jenny does that too, and I get after her that. <laughs> does she, know, not put, not does change, she also though. not pick, pick, pick things out of the dryer? She just takes clothes out and just puts them on. No, no, what she, what she loves to do is she, she loves to, uh, she'll clean the clothes, she'll fold them, but then she'll leave them in the laundry room. Oh, and not I, actually, I don't like, even do that, away. I just put things on chairs, I'm just like, oh, okay, I'll wear this later. <laughs> okay, so Jennifer uh, actually is better at laundry than Megan. Yeah, I'm, I'm awful at laundry. No, but, like, I'll give full props to Jennifer, to my wife is an amazing mother, because she has... Um, the task of uh, taking care of Oliver and Ruby for about half the day without me because I work a full shift. I work a full, you know, nine to five job. And she always comes through. She has a lot to deal with. My offspring are not easy to deal you with. You have cute ass They can be fun sometimes, though. but they are. I said you have what? cute ass offspring, though. I do. And, and luckily, adorableness can get you very far in life, but. It takes, a, it takes a real mother to have affection for those who are very difficult to deal with. And I'll give also the same uh, props to my own mom because she has never had an easy life with me to deal with. Because as she's always said, she never she, she says that she wonders what goes on in my head a lot of the times. We don't have the same wavelength of minds a lot of times. But she accommodated a whole lot in raising me and I cannot thank her enough for doing that and for helping to make me i believe a better person just by always showing me that there is a better way than giving up aman do you have words for your mother i, love, <laughs> I guess it's turning into mother appreciation time i love my mother she's great <laughs> she raised me not to be a little asshole and i appreciate that there are a lot of terrible people out there and i credit my mom for helping raise me right she's wonderful she did she did. She raised a very good boy. Megan, your mom raised a wonderful mm -hmm. daughter. Let's give it up for great moms out there fighting the thankless fight for us every day. And with that, we have come to the end of the podcast. Um, thank you very much. Uh, if you've gotten this far, uh, the secret code word to post in the comment section to prove that you got this far White is... Christmas! <laughs> sure. 
I was going to go with something a little more wholesome. But Why, sure. what are you going to do? White Christmas it is. I was just going to say daikon radishes, but fine. <laughs> white Christmas it is. She got a daikon radish. Oh, for God's sake. If you would like to watch Wolf Children yourself, you may think, well, this is a movie. It's not streaming anywhere. Wrong. Wrong you are, because it actually is streaming. Funimation recently added all of the Mamoru Hosoda films that they have licensed to their streaming platform. So if you would like to watch this, you can watch it on Funimation.com or on their app, Funimation Now. And if you don't have a Funimation account by now, you can get a free two-week trial. You just got to sign up for that. And if you enter your credit card information, you get two free weeks of all the anime goodness, simul dubs, regular dubs, old ass shit you've never heard of before, all for the low, low price after the two weeks of only $6.99. And trust me, you're going to want to keep that account after the two week trial is over because there is a whole lot out there. I could be watching Funimation nonstop from morning to night and I would still never catch up on all the stuff that they've got. And if you would uh, like to follow... Even closer, though, uh, there's also a home video release of this movie that, as Amon pointed out, has some uh, extra special features on it, including commentaries, some background production from the Japanese, and the also fun trailers that come with it, as well as um, you know having a physical copy of this amazing movie. I highly recommend yeah, buying like it. Yeah, there's two different home I think video these releases. There's the regular one, and then there's the Hasoda Collection one. Right. Um, I have the regular collection one. I, I have the fancy one. It's very nice. Very nice. Well, yeah, you have Blu-ray. I'm, I'm poor and <laughs> not poor. But I, I'm easy to please, and I like DVDs. You, you don't, you don't need to make that jump where everything's more expensive now. Yeah. I honestly can get a whole lot of stuff for much cheaper just by sticking to DVD. I'll be frank; it's probably the smarter decision. Keep doing that. Have you seen my collection? Yes, it's it, terrifying. Yes, it, yes, it's, it's, yes, it's hard. I'm horrified. You could catch up. You just have to really know where to look. I live in a two-bedroom. I live in a two-room apartment. Where am I going to put it all? Your bed, obviously. I need to sleep if there. If I die young, bury me in anime. <laughs> Lay me down on a bed of shoujo. Sink me in the river at dawn. Pay me off to the words of a love pawn. Coming soon, Me Megan's first EP, If I Die Otaku. Coming soon to an iTunes near you. I was like, my, my anime is, I can't believe I died surrounded by my anime and got reincarnated as a, bo as a body pillow. Oh, uh, no. I can totally You know that's going to that. be an anime one day. <sighs> it's only a matter of that, time. That's a, I'm sure there's there's some unknown author penning that as I mean, there's a light, light novel, novel about a guy speak. who gets turned into a vending machine. What? Yep. Never mind. That, <laughs> that's for a different episode. Okay. Um, speaking of weird off-brand stuff that nobody understands, um, the Dub Talk podcast that you're listening to now, um, thank you for listening. If you would like to continue to follow us, we have our YouTube channel. Um, there's also going to be audio-only formats coming soon. So if you're listening on one of those, hello from the past. and uh, Or you could watch us here on our YouTube channel, Go ahead and hit subscribe and ring that notification bell to see all of our new episodes. We have new episodes every Wednesday and occasionally on Fridays as well. And we also have multiple social social media feeds, including Twitter, which is at DubTalkPodcast, Tumblr, which is at DubTalkPodcast, a couple other ones as well. Megan, do we have a Discord? Uh, yeah. No, we don't have a Discord server, but you can hang out with me on the Funimation one. Right. 
Um, actually, speaking of that, let's transition over to um, individual plug yourself time. Megan, go Follow for me it. at Quinera2, where I post a bunch of bad daily rambles and shit posts. And we love you for it. I'm on! Uh, I want to go last. You go next. I have a, okay, I have a story. Oh, okay. Um, I uh, can be found on Twitter, at NoahClue, where I uh, plug the most obscure animation I can find, or post pictures of my children, because, as has been pointed out, they are most adorable. I also have a YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash journeytraveler, which I haven't updated yet. Um, if you've heard past episodes, you probably hear me say that before. But uh, who knows? Maybe some surprises in the work. Mm, dot, dot, dot. Amon? Uh, you can find me at, at AmonDuelUS on Twitter. Duel has two U's in it. Uh, I usually talk about music, comic books, whatever. Um, I also have a blog, which you can find at worldthatscoming.blogspot.com. I will be hoping to actually put something there soon um because i haven't updated in like two years it's very embarrassing um and as is tradition i have a dusty old song for all you listeners uh as you may know there's a long tradition of songs about werewolves in popular music werewolves of london by warren zevon dancing in the moonlight by king harvest werewolf by michael hurley etc however i'm going to recommend to you the best song about werewolves Wolf Like Me by TV on the radio, which is great because it both works as a metaphor for the beast within its all, and also just works as a literal song about werewolves running around wrecking shit at night. It's great. But now, it's time for a story. Ah, yes! So, so, as I, men oh, no. as I oh, mentioned, no. I saw Wolf Children when it was making the rounds up in here as a subtitled movie in North America. Specifically, I saw it at MIT. Because at MIT, there's a professor they named Ian Contry. He teaches Japanese cultural studies, and he and Mamoru Hosoda are buddies. And as a consequence, whenever Hosoda gets a new movie out, once it starts making the rounds in North America, they will arrange a screening where Mamoru Hosoda will be a guest, they will show the movie, and then uh, Hosoda and Contry will do a little, like, interview Q&A thing at the end. This is how I saw Wolf Children. And while I was there, they have the Q&A portion, people are coming down to the microphone. This guy comes down here. Uh, and he basically, he comes up, he says he's from some society, and he basically asks uh, Mamoru Soda, um, yeah, I've noticed you have all these um, sort of animals in your movies. Uh, are you interested in uh, Kenomo stories? Which, if you don't know, basically means he came and say, hey, Mr. Soda, are you a furry? <laughs> if I'm correct, Roots and you guys were both at the same showing. Yes, I later found out Roots was, I didn't know Roots at the time, but he was also at this event. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> okay, uh, my rec okay. my recollection is I don't know I there was my recollection is no one was really under, no one really understood what he was asking at the time so I don't quite recall what Azota's reaction was I think he was just a little confused yeah just be the be the person who don't be the man who asks Mama Rufusota if he's a furry be the person who however I... who uh, leaves a like, a comment, and watches next week's summer movie. Yes. Um, which, uh, we actually know what that's going to be, don't is we? Is it? Uh, I forget which one it is. Hold on, I'm gonna pull up really quickly. I'm not gonna say what it is here on the recording, I'm just going to leave a clue for you listeners out there to tide you just over. Please, as just please, as you're doing this, please put up a picture of the lady from, uh, Where in the World is Carmen San Diego? I don't get your brain sometimes. 
Remember, you have to spend a week with me again. Oh no. You said that we had a great time last year. I know, it's the thing, to... it's the problem is that I'm gonna suffer from I'm gonna suffer from withdrawal oh, is the remember, problem you get afterwards. To actually go to Funimation this time, so I am so hyped as hell. I really for that. hope my I just hope they don't kick us out. Is the guy... Did you ever hear that story, by the way? Well, hold on a second. Let's finish this up before right. and we'll talk about that, okay? okay. Anyway, okay. back in. Okay. So, so do not forget to tune in next week where um, I can't tell you what exactly is going to happen, but um, I will tell you that um, the signs point to an excellent episode coming on up. So, with that, we are at the end of our Wolf Children episode. Thank you very much for listening. I'd like to thank Megan and Amon for being my wonderful Wolf Children. And uh, I'm going to go uh, get some kibble. So, um, good night. Have a wonderful it's night. Bacon. <laughs> uh, aloha. Good night. Otaku on, my friends. Good night, nerds. <laughs>